And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Myth Bits. You made an excellent choice. The World of Myth Bits. Hey everybody, and welcome to the World of Myth Bits number 84. I am your host, as always, Stephanie Barty. And I'm not coming to you from the boudoir this week. Well, I am, sort of. It's my southern boudoir. I'm down at my sister's. So, I'm a little tired. Brain's not working quite as well as it should. Bear with me. I know it's magazine review. I will try and do my best. Okay, first of all, um, I have a few things in housekeeping I need to address, <laughs> need to take care of. Uh, daily stories that we were talking about are going to start tomorrow, or start June 1st, which is today. Yay! Um, and we are going to start that with Between the Moon and Mars by Terry D. Shearer. And you can find that in the very first issue of The World of Myth from 2004. So look for that and enjoy it. Um, and also, son of a gun, I hope I still have it open, because tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I am telling you who contestant 9 and 10 are of our open contract challenge. And that will round out our 10 contestants. And then, okay, so I've got my my handy dandy little photograph up again. Contestant number nine, ten, nine. Yes, let's recap. (laughs) I told you, brain, mush, tired. So, so far we have contestant number one, Gabriella Balcom. Contestant two, Vincent May. Contestant three, J. Robert Bellamy. Contestant four, Jason C. Wint. Contestant number five, Walter G. Esselman. Contestant number six, Christopher Bice. Contestant number seven, Doug Hawley. Contestant number eight, Maggie D. Brace. And, drum roll please, contestant number nine, Don Moltrup. I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. If I did not, please send me an email and let me know how to pronounce it. Don Moltrup. I'm hoping I pronounced that correctly. That is contestant number nine. I will let you know contestant number 10 in a little bit because that's just the way I roll. All right. Moving right along. Hoping that my splitter doesn't decide to be silly because it's giving me issues. Um, I want to say congratulations to Sean Klimek for winning member of the month honors with his story. I do believe it was entitled dark track. If I'm not correct, somebody let me know. Also to Amber M Simpson, who is a newcomer to the world of myth for her story marked and she got featured article. Yay. All right. Now, once I announce contestant number 10, then they will be moving on to the second round of the contest, which will begin on Friday. 
Friday is, for those people who like to actually have dates, <sighs> Friday is June 5th. So what is going to be expected from them starting Friday will be the first chapter of your novel if you have submitted a novel. It will be 10 poems if you have submitted a poetry piece of work. Or five pages of artwork or comic book. So those of you that have submitted a novel, give us your first chapter, just like last year. If you have submitted a, a synopsis for a poetry book, a pitch for a poetry book, we want 10 poems. If you have submitted a pitch for an art book, we want five pieces of artwork that are going to go in that book. If you have submitted a comic book, we want five pages of that comic book. So that is what is going to be um, starting Friday. That is what you guys are going to have to do. And you will have a certain time frame. You will all be notified by email to tell you the time frame. Um, that is one thing I did forget to ask the boss man for. Okay, since it's magazine review, I am just going to jump right in and give you contestant 10 so that I don't forget later. Um, contestant number 10 is Matt Lucas. That completes our 10 contestants going into the second round of the Open Contract Challenge. Congratulations, everybody. And may the best man or woman make it to the next round. So come on, get your, pull your socks up, get your game face on. Now it's time to play. All right, here we go. Okay, now let me get out of here. I do believe that has taken up all of a matter of five minutes. Look at that. I need to slow my roll a little bit. Actually, no, I don't because now I'm going into um, magazine review and I don't need to have my phone up there because I'm not on video anymore. Okie dokie. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, magazine review for issue number 84. Oh, how weird is that? This is podcast 84, magazine review issue 84. I'm pretty sure it's issue 84. Let me double check that just to be sure. Because I don't want to get all excited for nothing. But that would be really cool, wouldn't it? The 80, my 84th podcast is the review of the 84th magazine. Let's just shake the magic eight ball and see what happens. Okay, no, it's issue 83. No, it's not. Wait. No, it is issue 84. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's issue 84. Wait, let me refresh this and look at the picture. Okay, it is. Ah, all right. <laughs> so, magazine review, issue 84, on episode 84 of The World of Myth Bits. How fortuitous. That is very, very cool. Okay, so we're going to dive right in. We've already said congratulations to Amber and Sean, and we are going to start with Drabbles. And coming to you this week, this month, we have Christopher Bice and his Drabble, The Last Score. Now, when I read the title, 
because he submitted two pieces with the same title. And I was kind of going, eh? Um, when I read the title, you're thinking the last score, either, you know, a gambler or a junkie or something like that. This Drabble kind of takes a different turn. Yes, it is an addiction. It is dealing with that last hit, that last score before you try and get back on the wagon. Um, but it's a different kind of addiction. You know? Read it. It's, 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 I have to say, it is one of the best twists on an addiction and somebody trying to get sober that I have seen. Uh, well done. Because in all reality, if you follow the mythology, what they are trying to do is pretty much impossible. So, well done, Christopher. I like that. The last score by Christopher Bice. And that is a drabble. And then we have Fall of the Ferryman from Narisha Kemraj. And we haven't heard from her in a while. Welcome back. Glad to have you back. This is also a drabble. I do believe. Nope, my bad. Sorry, it was a flash. Yes, it's a drabble. Uh, told you, brain mush. So bear with me. This one, um, it, drew, it it had me right from the very beginning because I am such a nerd for Greek mythology. I love Greek mythology. I love the um, the idea of the river Styx and the ferryman that takes you across. And that's all he does the whole time. He just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and you know, it makes you wonder, do they have thoughts? Do they have lives? Do they have feelings? Do they have wants, needs, and desires? And and this nicely kind of wraps it all up and gives a different look on what else is happening outside of the mythology that we know. So well done, Narisha. I really enjoyed Fall of the Ferryman. Now we have Sinbad the Sailor by James Bates. And this one, it was really cute. I loved it. Um, It's a drabble. And it touches on that mythology of, you know, Cyclops and Sinbad and all of the things, you know, surrounding that. In a hundred words, no less. So it was well done. It was well written and I really enjoyed it. Um, this was, for me, what a, a, a drabble is. It had a beginning, a middle and an end. It was a story in and of itself in as little words as possible, in a hundred words. So well done, James. Sinbad the Sailor by James Bates. And now we have The Debt Collector, Debt Collector by David K. Montoya. And you know, he writes these to rub them in because I can't write these. You all are just amazing. Um, <laughs> this one made me laugh. It really, it really did. Um, because when you make a contract, 
You gotta read the fine print. You really, really do need to find to read the fine print, especially if it does say something is to, you know, at my discretion. Because if you're at the discretion of somebody else, you are basically at their mercy. Whenever they feel like saying, oh yeah, now's good, then now is good, contract is called in. Um, and that is kind of the, the story, the, the lesson to be learned behind this Drabble. So that's The Debt Collector by David K. Montoya. Okay, so now we're moving into fantasy. And <laughs> we have one of the cutest stories I have read in a long time. And it's by a newcomer, Anita Gorman. And it's called Internet Dating and It's Discontents. And it is a really funny story. It's very sweet. It um, Anybody who's single and has tried re-entering the dating world, especially in the age of technology, like where do you meet somebody? You don't want to trust the people you meet in a bar. Where do you go to meet somebody? And you try internet dating and you always have that sometimes... You don't always, but sometimes there's that one friend that you've kind of friend zoned. That one guy friend you've friend zoned. And you never quite know, you know. You really got to, um, I'm trying not to give too much away about this story because I want you guys to read them. That's why I do the podcasts a week later so that at least people have a chance to read them and they're not getting spoilers from me. But... Sometimes what you're looking for is right in front of you. So, Internet Dating and Its Discontents by Anita G. Gorman. I really enjoyed it. Really did. I did. I really did. There's some really funny moments in there. I mean, it could have fit in humor very well, but it, it, at, at the core of it, I felt it was um, a budding romance. That kind of fantasy place that you're in when you finally yeah okay so the right to happiness by maria tonu and she is also a newcomer and this one is written in a little bit different style than what we normally see in the magazine um it's it's kind of a conversation written as a conversation between two there's not a whole lot of descriptive action going on around the story the conversation between George and between um, Dora tells the story and it's it's a very heart-wrenching for me it was a very heart-wrenching story when you realize that you know you're reading it and and Dora is holding fast to what she believes and what she she stands for and out of love, she changes those beliefs and she, well, she doesn't really change them, but she puts them aside for love, for what she thinks is love. Um, yeah, that's the thing, for what she thinks is love. She puts what she has held so fast to and so hard to, she puts that aside and is not rewarded nicely for it. So... Okay, that is uh, The Right to Happiness by Maria Tonu. And I hope I pronounced your name correctly. If I did not, please let me know and let me know how it is pronounced. And I will endeavor to pronounce it correctly the next time. 
As anybody who's ever listened to my podcasts know, I am not great with names. Okay, so The Right to Happiness by Maria Tonneau, and that is in fantasy. And then we have Naga Pashami, A Day of Worship by Gabriella Balcom. And I'm pretty sure I mispronounced that wrong. I think it's Pachami, but I could be corrected. And this is, um, this story is, is based in a myth and um, in a spiritual belief of the Nepalese people and the, how they believe their, their, their deity, the snake deity and um, somebody who didn't believe in things like that being proven very, very wrong. So, yeah, and it's not a very long story, but it does pack quite a punch in the few lines that there are. And that's Naga Pachami, Pashami, A Day of Worship by Gabriella Balcom. I think I should tell you put the the phonetic pronunciation (laughs) in brackets when you send me something so that I can pronounce it correctly. Okay, yay. And then we have part two of Pumpkin Sue, A Dragon Sun Story by Walter G. Esselman. I love Pumpkin Sue. I really do. And I'm sad to see that this is the end of Pumpkin Sue. Um, if you want to read the first part, it's in last month's magazine. And I really suggest, if you haven't read the first part, I really suggest you do go read the first part. I absolutely adore Pumpkin Sue. She, for me, like his other series, the Liberty series, Pumpkin Sue has such a personality and um, so does Gideon and Pavataro he (laughs) he's a kid and he he has his moments but it's it's a wonderful story I, I could actually see it like I could see the scenery I could see the setting I could see how it would look, how she would look if it were to be like a Tim Burton movie type thing. And I absolutely love it. I would, I would love to see this animated. I really would in a Tim Burton style. Um, so that's Pumpkin Sue, A Dragon Sun Story, part two. And it's the final part by Walter G. Esselman. I do believe it's the final part. There is no to be continued. Yes, it is. Okay. Bye, Pumpkin Sue. Okay, and then we have The Rising, Part 9, by Jeff R. Young. And much, much to my relief, my darling Draven is still alive. He's not doing well, mind you, but he is still alive. Now, this section of the story... Um, they are, I think they're holed up in a city. They're at the, yeah, they're in an inn and this, you start seeing more of Draven getting ill and more of what's happening to him. Um, it's kind of. I would almost say this story is more of 
Draven's pushing through things. I know I'm, I'm just, I'm completely talking about Draven and this, this, this installment is not all about him. It's not, this is not Draven's installment. That was last month, but I love him. I do. This is, um, they're starting to find more things out. They've discovered, um, things with runes and, um, that they're inscribed with runes and they're, they're starting to translate things, um, trying to anyway, like they, they recognize the script, but they've never actually read them. Um, they're, they're beginning to wonder how, you know, Zithos knows the things that he does, not you know, remembering that he is over 230 some odd years old. So they're hoping that they can find a way to stop this virus and destroy this thing. But, you know, you got to read it. You really do. I love this series. This is one of my favorite series on here. And I Draven is my favorite character, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If he succumbs to the virus, I will cry. I will have a day of mourning. There will be a podcast about Draven. I'm sorry. There will be. Anyway, that is The Rising Part 9 by Jeff R. Young. And now we have The Missing Unicorn in the Land of the Zombie Fairies, Part 10. And this is another series that I really enjoy. And yes, I understand it is for kids. Um, but I really enjoy it. And this is by David K. Montoya. And he has dedicated it to his girls, Zoe and Lily, and his son, Jaden. Now, the story starts there in Darkland. And Billy, who showed up in the last story, he is um, Emma and Olivia's older brother. And in our world, he has autism. In this world, he is exactly like everybody else. Which, you know, isn't always a virtue. Sometimes it's kind of cool to be different. But anyway. Um, and this, again, I'm getting that I'm not trusting Ken feeling as I'm reading it, like Billy doesn't trust Ken. Billy doesn't like Ken. And there's got to be a reason why Billy doesn't like Ken and doesn't like the, he keeps making references saying, oh, you're not from that clan. So there's something going on there. And, um, I'm waiting. And I do have to say there are bits dropped throughout this story of, um, adventures that Billy has gone on. And I would love to see a series featuring Billy and the things that he has um, discovered, the things that he has seen. Like, how does he know about Ferris Glass? Where did he, you know, like, tell us about this stuff. Tell us these stories. So that is The Missing Unicorn in the Land of the Zombie Fairies, Part 10. And I have a sad feeling that this is going to be wrapping up very soon. Um, and I'm going to be sad to see that go. I really am. Okay, and that was 
What did I say that was? The Missing Unicorn in the Land of the Zombie Fairies, Part 10 by David K. Montoya. All right, moving on into horror, we have Marked by Amber M. Simpson, and she is the one that got featured article this month. Now, this one um, kind of caught my attention right away with Burn the Witch. Burn the Witch. Because, you know, people still scream that, which is really scary. And it, you're you're reading this story from Pippa, who is the 12-year-old. You're reading this from her perspective and what she's seeing and what she's feeling and what she's thinking and how she's reacting to seeing this woman... Um, being hauled up these stairs, being strapped to this pole and on this pyre and the, like the anger that this woman, and you're wondering, okay, what is this child thinking? How is she reacting? And, you know, it makes you, you wonder as you're reading this and everybody, like the crowd is so bloodthirsty. And the sad thing is, is this really happened Things like this really happened. And that just does not sit well with me. Um, but it's quite a twist at the end of the story. So I highly recommend you check out Marked by Amber N. Simpson and find out what Marked actually means. You might start checking yourself. Okay, now we have The Resurrectionist, part one, by another newcomer. Zach Ellenberger. This is part one. As soon as my computer loads. And this starts out, it's a tale being told by somebody. They're telling you a story. And I love stories that start out like that because you feel almost like you're reading a letter or a diary page from somebody else. So this is um, set back in time a little bit. I mean, it's not in present day, obviously. And they have um, graveyard watcher, like the graveyard shift where somebody's actually watching in the graveyard. Um, and this is, if you look up, it'll tell you where um, for whom the bell tolls comes from and the graveyard shift and all of that stuff. But this kind of goes into a lot of that within the story itself. And um, it's it's kind of creepy. Uh, I'll give it, I'll give that. It's kind of creepy. You might not want to read this in the dark, but it is really good. I really enjoyed it. That is newcomer Zach Ellenberger's. The Resurrectionist, Part 1. Then we have The Vegetable Garden by James Bates. Now, I am going to say... Um, it was a little triggering for me, only because I have my own personal trauma. But it was also... I, I, I found it, it was um, vindicating. You know, I had that mm-hmm moment while reading this. And it's it's well written, but it also leaves you with the question at the end of the story is, you know, is she creating a serial killer? Is she raising 
somebody who already is a serial killer and just teaching her the ropes? Is she a serial killer? You got to leave you with these questions. It really does. It leaves you with these questions. So, but it, but it's, it also makes you wonder, is she doing it for a reason? Because if you look at the history of the people that um, are, have the unfortunate um, pleasure of meeting her vegetable garden <laughs> in an unearthly manner, is she a um, vigilante killer is what they call it. That's the word I was going for. So, yeah. Well done, James. The Vegetable Garden by James Bates. The Werewolf of Wisteria by Gabriella Balcom. And this one, yes, it is. As it says, it is about a werewolf. And it's told from the perspective of um, children. It starts out in 1926. And you get bounced around to a couple of places. You start out in one part of town. And then, you know, that meanwhile, back at the ranch, you moved off to another part of town. And then you jump ahead a couple of years. So it's kind of a story that takes place over time and in different locations. And it tells you that. Like, there's different people involved. And, um... It takes you throughout the years of this serial killer and the things that he does and how he survives. So it's a really good story. Uh, the Werewolf of Wisteria by Gabriella Balcom. Now over, and that rounds off our horror section. Now over in Action and Suspense, we have Twists and Turns Part 1 by Peter Astle. And I do suggest for all of our part ones that we have, um, come back next month. This one, Twists and Turns Part 1, is a, there's a few parts to it. So, um, I suggest you, you make sure every month you read and you keep, you, you keep up to date. Now, this one starts in 1990. And it's talking about the Luddites. And, um, you know, things that were going on in the 90s. And it has some very retro um, terminology in it. It has some very retro, um, and I say retro because the 90s is retro for me. I was born in the 70s. So (laughs) that's really retro. (laughs) It's got a lot of nice memories from the 90s, things that, you might have forgotten about um, nice throwback to the era of the 90s. Because the 90s doesn't tend to get a lot of um, recognition. It really doesn't. It's usually the 80s or the 60s. But the, the 70s and the 90s are kind of, you know. So I really, I really enjoyed it. I loved reading this story. It was fun. It was suspenseful. Um, I'm looking forward to part two. So, like, you know, kind of left it hanging. Don't worry, Claire. We've got it all worked out. And you're, I read that. Like, what do you mean you've got it all worked? How do you have this worked out? I need to know. So, that is Twists and Turns Part One by newcomer Peter Astle. And now we have The Hotel in Puerto Nuevo. Part 1 
by Stephen Carr. Now we did put a disclaimer on this one simply because it does bear an uncanny resemblance to what is happening with the coronavirus. Several places in the story that are mentioned are hot spots for coronavirus. But, and I do have proof, Steve did send me proof, this story was written back in November before any of this started becoming a thing. So, yes, there is a disclaimer at the beginning of the story to let to make you aware that this was written months before COVID-19. But whether or not it was written before COVID-19 or written during COVID-19, it is a really good story. And it really gives you a look into how things are developing. And, you know, I got to pull on the COVID-19 thing. It's kind of uncanny reading this and knowing, like, knowing, like, you can watch it happening in the news. It's really freaky. Like, I got, I got video to go with my story. It's a really good story. I really enjoyed it. Um, kind of scary, kind of unnerving because it's happening. It really is happening. This is going to, like, this could happen. Things could be this bad. Okay, so. Hotel in Puerto Nuevo, Part 1, by Steve Carr. I suggest you check it out. Part 2 will be out next month. Okay, so now we are moving on to Liberty's Run by Walter G. Esselman. This is Part 9. I love this series. I'm going to be so sad to see it end. I really do love Liberty. She has got such a kick-ass attitude, and she says very little. She's not a real talker. She's a doer. Uncle Danny is the talker. Now, in this episode, er, episode, good gravy. In this installment, um, they find out that the birds actually are intelligent. They understand what's going on and they can think and they can plan ahead. They can figure out a problem. And Uncle Danny starts kind of, it's almost like he's communicating. Like, I mean, he does help one of the the aliens he helps one of the birds dig out their wing and i think it kind of formed like a a tenuous truce between the two of them so this is all how you know they're communicating and they have names they they figure all of that out and they end up um on this ship and they're trying to describe to well uncle danny's telling liberty you know like they're they're definitely intelligent and she's not kind of grasping what he's saying like she wants to know how intelligent and she gives this really funny list like ant intelligent bunny gorilla or human (laughs) uncle danny bunnies are intelligent (laughs) that made me laugh so um they end up with Rear Admiral Anthony Cirillo, and he's on a yacht. So they're trying to tell him about everything that's been going on, about these birds, and, you know, they're talking about the yacht, all of that. It's a really, really good story. It's a really good, this was a really good issue, episode, issue, installment. That's the word I'm going for. So 
Oh, I really love this series. It's Liberty's Run, Part 9, Volume 2 of the Liberty Schoenauer series. Schoenauer? Schoenauer. That rounds out our action and suspense. Now we are heading into science fiction with Fugitives by James Bates. And if you've noticed, we've started listing, because this is a 10-part series. So we've started listing each episode um, at the beginning. So you can kind of know where we are and what's going on. And this is number seven. Um, This kind of is more or less this officer's um, story. It's kind of his point of view, what's going on. He's just doing his job, getting paid, whatever. Um, So we have... Karen and um, Quinn and their son and Karen's friend from work all together now. And they are all on the run. Jen. And they are all on the run with Matt, their son. So this is kind of... They're fugitives now. They're on the run. They have to move at certain times of the night. They have to hide during the day. They have to camouflage and they have to survive and they have to do it all and make Matt feel safe, make Matt feel loved. You know, they have had to change their appearance. They've got masks that they have to wear just in case they're gassed and other things, you know. So it, it's, it's really, things are really starting to move now. So, yeah. That's Fugitives, that's part seven, I said, I think we said, yeah, part seven, by James Bates. Okay, now we have Rhoda, 2000, by Don DeBraille. So, this is about a man who builds a computer, and it's basically a robot built to his specifications, his qualifications, and his needs. And... He's kind of in love with this robot. Um, his parents don't understand it. His parents don't like it. They don't get it. And Rhoda doesn't exactly like them. But as you read it, you find you, you begin to realize that Rhoda kind of has a thing for dad. Yeah, Rhoda kind of has a thing for dad. So, mm-hmm. It was a really good story and it really, because, I mean, artificial intelligence is not a, a far stretch. They already have it. So that's Rhoda 2000 by Don DeBrail. Well, I'm not sure if, if Bob has a thing for Rhoda or Rhoda has a thing for Bob. Okay, so now we're going into Spin by Doug Hawley. Now this is definitely your... Um, alien story it's got all of the aspects of a sci-fi alien story it is really good um i enjoyed it and you get that connection that conversation between the human and the alien and you 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 know it's, it's got the probing it's got the the investigating so you know you you begin to wonder about xan and how legit this alien actually is not the fact that he's not an alien he is an alien but you know he's got a penchant for the weird so that's spin by doug holly 
Now we move over into humor. 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 Apparently I can't, I'm not braining very well today. The Ecobart by Peter Astle. Now this one, when you start, when I started out reading it, I'm thinking, damn, I need one of them in my house. And then I continued reading. I went, hmm, I'm not quite sure. I need one of those in my house. But it is an effective way to deal with um, a messy problem. So, yeah. That is the EcoBart Disposal Unit. <laughs> made me laugh. That just it made me laugh because what he, he's disposing of. So... It's a very good story. It's very creepy. The Ecobart. And it is actually really funny. There are some really funny parts in it. The Ecobart by Peter Astell. And then we have... Okay, James. <laughs> Mr. Rumple wanted to hear me pronounce the title of his story. So, I have been practicing. Here we go. <laughs> Click. Shh, boing. By James Rumpel. <laughs> Don't ask me to do it again. <laughs> okay, so. He starts out with the old analogy of a monkey and a typewriter. And goes from there. And it's telling it from first person. So you're, you're, it's, it's almost like you're having a conversation with the person telling you this story. Again, it's another form of storytelling that I like. It's kind of like they're recounting what has happened, um, which is what writing a story is all about. And yeah, I would have had the second stack of blueberry pancakes too. Really, I would have. Um, it's kind of another one of those um, all of a sudden you have this superpower and how would you use it type stories and would you use it for good would you use it for bad and he seems so you know he's, he's not doing too bad he got a second stack of blueberry pancakes got his oil changed you know so he's, he's not doing too too bad um and that's these weird noises that he makes with his mouth tend to influence things around him. And it's just these weird noises. So that is <laughs> Click sh Boing by James Rumpel. <laughs> what you got for me now, Mr. Rumpel? <laughs> okay. And now we have Deal Breaker by Melissa Small. Now this one um, kind of took me by surprise because I'm kind of reading it. And yes, it is a COVID-19 story. It's that's right there in the first line of the story. It is told during this pandemic. And you know what? It's kind of nice to have a little humor come out of this because I think we're all going a little stir crazy. That's why I met my sister's. But I will say, after reading this story, I will never, ever, ever trust a seagull again. Not that I've trusted them to begin with. But I'm never going to trust a seagull again. And the new phrase, Netflix and chill, has now been forever replaced in my head. 
I'm not going to tell you by what. You have to read it. But yeah, I'm. You got to read this. You're not going to like this seagull. I'm telling you. But it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. I really enjoyed it. I Mel. I will say Melissa does write comedy really, really well. She's good at writing comedy. Um, thoroughly enjoyed this story. Well done, Melissa. That is Deal Breaker by Melissa Small. You're going to have to read it to find out what the deal was and what the deal breaker was and why she's a squirrel. You'll never trust a seagull again. Demon birds. And that rounds out our story section. And now we have our poetry section, as always. And first poetry poem up is by another newcomer, John W. Flukinger. Please, I hope I pronounced that correctly. And his poem is called A Blank Page, which if you're a writer, you know what? That is the bane of everybody's existence is a blank page. Is that blinky, 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 blinky. And this kind of draws on that fear, that place where we all begin, whether we're drawing a picture, we're writing a poem, we're writing a story, whatever it is, we all start with that blank page. And you you hope that what you're putting on that page, somebody's going to appreciate. So that is A Blank Page by John W. Flukinger. Then we have Quatrains by Maria Tonu. Tonu? Tonu. Tonu. And again, this is written in um, the start of it. The conversation part is written in a style we're not used to, but it is a very wonderful style. Um, I really enjoyed this poem. I enjoy all of the poetry works. I love poetry. Poetry is my kryptonite. So I suggest you you head over and you read it. Um, it is really, really good. That's Quatrains by Maria Tonu. And then we have A Toast to Death by Anne Christine Tabaka. And this poem is not about what you think it would be about. It is toast to death, but it's the empty house. It's the memories. It's the life that was lived in this house. And that it's just been left. And time and weather and age have taken their toll. So it's it's a very good poem. It's a Toast to Death by Anne Christine Tabaka. And then we have The Last Score by Christopher Bice. And remember, he did the Drabble by the same um, title, so it kind of had me. Now, this one um, kind of, it almost, it's almost like it takes that Drabble, Drabble and expands on it into a, a piece of poetry. And you get more of the story, more of what the character is feeling and experiencing and fighting through in this poem. That's The Last Score by Christopher Bice. And it's the same theme in both the Drabble and the poem. 
done in two different ways. Now we have another launch by John Gray. And this is um, very sci-fi and it's talking about, you know, rockets and that we're sending them into space and, and all of that stuff with aliens and all of that good stuff. So that is another launch by John Gray. Then we have The End of the Beginning by Jeff R. Young. And it just, Jeff's poetry just blows me away. He he has a way of finding that one thought that's in the back of your head that kind of eats away at you and niggles away at you and you try and ignore it and he pulls it out, plucks it out, throws it on paper and makes it into a poem. And that's pretty much what he's done with The End of the Beginning. It's The End of the Beginning by Jeff R. Young. And then my poem, Fury Unleashed. And it is written... Everybody says, oh, courage in a bottle. But this is written from um, a darker aspect of alcoholism. So, Fury Unleashed by me, Stephanie Barty. And then we have The Machine by Kevin Magnus. And this one, it really, this one really touched me. It really makes you think. Um, sometimes, you know, we just, we're going through the motions and we're doing what we need to do. We're taking care of our responsibilities. We're, you know going to work and just going through the motions and you feel like a machine. You know, you do this, you do that, turn that knob, push this button, yada, yada, yada. And you you don't, it becomes such a routine and such a, a draw that you feel like you're just a machine going through the motions and going through, you know, you've been programmed to do this. So that's The Machine by Kevin Magnus. And that rounds out our poetry section. And in our art gallery this month, we have Balanced by Zoe M. Montoya. And if you look, you can see she's got good on one side and bad on the other. And to have anything, you have to have the dark with the light, the good with the bad. Even within yourself, you have to have the dark with the light, the happy with the sad, the good with the bad, the joy with the anger, with the sorrow, to to be balanced. So that's Balanced by Zoe M. Montoya. Well done, Zoe. Absolutely love it. And then we have Finding Your Inner Strength by Boriana Anunieva. And her artwork always, the eyes in her artwork always seem to blow me away. It's like they're looking right through you. And the, just the shadowing, I love, her, I love her stuff. So that is Finding Your Inner Strength by Boriana Ananieva. And then we have Thor by Storm A. Cook, which is our um, cover this month. And... I am a big um, Viking. I love 
the Viking tales. I love the poetic eddas. I love all of that stuff. And this is a beautifully done picture. Um, it is. I love it. I love the picture. It gives you that. Like it's. You can feel the 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 power of Thor in this picture. You can feel the power of that serpent, and um, it's it's all kind of captured. Like somebody just took a picture of the action that was going on. So that is Thor by Storn A. Cook. And then we have Awoken Sentence by Rebecca Illich. And I love her artwork. I really do. I wish she would do more of it. Um, she has a way of telling almost a story. Especially if she's done something that they're looking off. Like they're, they're looking at something. They've got that, that distant, I'm here, but I'm not really here, look to them. And this is no different. Awoken Sentence by Rebecca Illich. And then we have Fantastic Feeling by Ryan Scherfenberg. Oh, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Again, you know the drill. Email me, let me know. And this is very cute. It's a very cute, um, yeah, I, I can't, I don't know if a block, a robot, it is adorable. So that's Fantastic Feeling by Ryan Scherfenberg. And that rounds out our art collection. You head on over to reviews. You can, do, 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 do. You can read a review of Scoob. I want to see Scoob. And after reading Moviegoer Grimm's review of Scoob, I really want to see Scoob. Now, I love Scooby-Doo. Love me some Scooby-Doo. And to see Scooby-Doo and Shaggy when they were little kids. mm Mm-hmm. So go and check out Moviegoer Grimm's review of Scoob. And I do believe he gave it a four star. (gasps) I was wrong. Nope. Three and a half stars. I was close. Three and a half stars. Only because it was a bit costly. Movie Gore Grimm can be a little cheap sometimes. <laughs> okay. And then in book review, we have Michael A. Arnold, our resident book reviewer. And he did the review of George Orwell's A Collection of Essays. And if you've read anything by George Orwell or you follow anything that he's done... You'll know he's a very prolific writer. He's a very um, almost prophetic writer. I really enjoy George Orwell's things. I mean, everybody has read 1984. It was kind of like grade nine high school mandatory reading. But yeah, this is a really good review of George Orwell's A Collection of Essays by Michael A. Arnold. And then we have our resident video game reviewer. He is back in the saddle again. And he has reviewed Forza Horizon 4, and that's Jeff R. Young. And he actually reviewed a game in a game style that he doesn't normally enjoy, and he actually found out he enjoyed it. So go and check out his review. That's Forza Horizon 4 by Jeff R. Young. And then Art Review, which is done by Michael A. Arnold. And he did a review of J.M.W. Turner's Mount Vesuvius Interruption, and it's, he does quite an extensive review on things, so you might want to check that out and have a little peek at his review. And then, of course, as always, 
go and read our commentary from the founder by David K. Montoya. He is the founder. And he always gives nice little tidbits and secrets and um, hints as to things that are coming. So if you're not reading the commentary, you're not knowing what's going on. Because the boy can't keep a secret. (laughs) He will tell you things in his commentary just to see if you are paying attention. I kid you not. Okay, so if you go over to interviews in our interview section, we have an interview by Kevin Mythmaster Adams. I do believe that the Mythmaster... I didn't get to edit this, so I'm just reading this now. This is rather funny. Oh, Mythmaster's going to be so mad at me. He's off chasing some cookies, apparently, that I stole. And Kevin stepped forward and was taken down off the wall and did an interview with Jody Perkins. Um, she was member of the month many, many months ago. Probably a couple of years ago. Anyway, so this is her interview with um, Kevin Adams. So go and enjoy it. Kevin always does a really good interview and he really knows his stuff. So go and have a listen to his interview with the ever elusive Jody Perkins. And that, my friends, is issue 84 of the World of Myth magazine on episode 84 of the World of Myth Bits. I hope you all enjoyed my review and you will come back next month for next month's review. I hope you all come back next week and just listen to me talk because I'm down south for a couple of weeks. So you never know what I could get up to. I mean, this week alone, I have shoveled dirt, helped plant gardens, Got to power wash part of a pool room. I'm going to finish that up tomorrow. Got some sun. Got a little bit of a sunburn going on today. Um, Discovered that I'm old and need sleep. (laughs) Uh, A whole bunch of fun stuff. And uh, yeah, got to hug people outside of my immediate household. Was great. Absolutely great, let me tell you. So that is it for... Um, this week, don't forget to go over to www.theworldofmyth.com and check out all of these wonderful stories, poems, and artwork that I just gave you fantastic reviews on because I am just that good. And you can find us on Facebook at the World of Myth Magazine or the World of Myth Bits Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the World of Myth Magazine and the World of Myth Bits Podcast. And you can find us over on Instagram at the Open Contract Challenge. And yeah, if you want to submit something, just go and check out our guidelines at theworldofmyth.com. And they will be updated within the next um, three weeks or so. We've got a lot going on. Um, I told you last week about 2M. That is moving forward at breakneck speed. I should have an email address for you within the next month or so. 
Um, we're still ironing out the fine-tuning things before we are ready for submissions. Um, but yeah, things are going well with 2M and I'm excited. Um, it's kind of weird not being in control. So I'm having a little bit of an issue with that. And also my new podcast where it's nothing but me, all me is coming out soon. It's called Lupus Bits. We are going to talk about my bits. Just letting you know, putting that out there. You can do with that as you will. Okay, I will see you guys all next week. Until then, see ya. The world of myth bits.